This is QC Pod. I'm Samantha Galvez Montiel. QC Pod features the people, projects, movements, and ideas that make up the Queens College community. To learn more, visit us at queenspodcastlab.org/qcpod. Today, we meet with Barbara Moore, director of the counseling services at Queens College. Counseling services are available for online sessions at this time, and are here to listen. Mrs. Moore and I talk about how to help our loved ones when it comes to mental health and how to utilize these counseling services, as well as the peer services at Queens College. How have you been since the last time we spoke? I've been very good. I've been fine. What about you? You and I have spoken before that I work in a pharmacy, and I had this altercation with this guy at work that I used to go to high school with. He shoved the paper in my face and asked me to make copies for him, but I wasn't physically in the pharmacy. I was waiting online to pay for something, and he got annoyed with me for not doing what he wanted. So when he got copies from my coworker, he turned to me and got a bit aggressive, saying that that's all he wanted. That's all I wanted. And I started saying something, but I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't understand. And when I pointed out that he was talking with no context, he yelled at me to be quiet. It was too much. And I pointed out that he shouldn't be rude to me in front of a vendor or a customer. And then I didn't know what to do. And my mom said, talk to your boss, you know, talk to your your general manager. And I spoke to them. My general manager said, you know, it's not right that you guys are both going back and forth. But does that condone his actions? No, it doesn't. So... It was that, and then, like, my friend, one of my friends, he acted weird on Valentine's Day. So it was just been a lot of confrontation and misogyny all at once. Why does it bother me so much? You know, I think it's just because, like, they have a little bit of power of the way I feel for no reason. So, like, it was just that whole thing. That just made me so upset. Um, but, yeah, I my coworker saw that it upset me right. because... Even after the fact, this coworker of mine, he literally called me crazy. Like he was I don't I don't know why he does, but you know, like it it just upset me that like sometimes people who are close to me, people who aren't close to me, treat me a certain way and it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It just upset me on a whole level. Like I don't know why. I just I teared up about it. I was like but then I I thought about it after. I was like, you know what? It's not worth your time. Like, you know, if it was worth your time, you could do something about it. But you've done everything you can. So there's no reason to be upset anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, um, I mean, I think it's best when work is a kind of conflict-free zone and, mm-hmm. and everybody is, is kind of focused on their work and not, not too much on one another. Uh, one way of, of speaking about these things at work, if someone says something that feels aggressive or, or something like that, to, to kind of just say in a general way, um, you know, let, let's try to treat one another quietly and respectfully at work. And, yeah. you know, and kind of try to um, take the air out of the situation rather than, you know, blowing it up in any way but to try to minimize and uh quiet it down doesn't always work when our feelings are touched um 
but it's it's a I think it's a it's a good a model to keep in mind, especially when there's tension at work. Yeah, no, I um after she she even told me my manager, my general manager said, um, just go clock in, do your job, and then leave. And I said that's exactly what I've been doing. He talks to me, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't have any interaction with him, and you know I told him like I'm only nice to him. Because, you know, I don't want to have any unpleasantry at work. I'm trying to keep it professional. And when he did that, you know, I felt bad at first. I said, you know what, it shouldn't have been worth my time. But when he called me crazy um, to my coworker, that upset me so much because I don't think he has respect for me in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Um, So, honestly, I think that this would have happened somehow, even if it didn't happen, like, Wednesday. She was like, no, yeah, I totally get it. He, um, he's taking personal things into work. And I said, yeah, like that's exactly what he's been doing. And I don't talk to him. I only talk to him when he talks to me. If I don't have to talk to him, I really don't want to. Well, I, I think one way of, of bridging the gap between yesterday and today and what will happen is, you know, to just say uh, good afternoon in a polite way yeah. and... You know that that's a way of bringing just um, just normal courtesy into the situation, and that's a way of sort of depersonalizing the yeah. the tension, which I think you, you you want. I know when I'm at work, I want to feel that I'm focused on my work, not on things going on in uh, interpersonally in the office. Except in a professional way. Talking to a counselor can be like that, relieving and freeing. So I asked Mrs. Moore about the center and the services it provided to QC students. Have any of the students been utilizing the resources, like, through the pandemic? Yes. Yes, but ironically, and and to our regret, not quite as much as they did when people could just walk into the counseling center. And I, I... it's it's ironic because I we we know from from reading that people are suffering more now than they did in the past because of mm-hmm. the pandemic. But maybe people are on the computer so much that the idea of having counseling also on the computer takes away some of the motivation to engage in it. But I would say that it once you're doing it, it really works out well. You know, we see each other face to face and, you know, we really have good personal and deep sessions with students. Yeah, of course. And I think that everyone needs to have a deep conversation once in a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and some people, you know, are, are in kind of on, ongoing counseling for, you know, um, situations that are not that easy to resolve. The students, like how many times could they visit you per per semester or for an entire uh, course of their career? Like how many? There's a flexible limit (laughs) of 12 sessions. And I say flexible because certainly during the pandemic, we've been flexible about that. And and even um, if a person has, let's say, finished a course of counseling with us, 12 sessions, 14 sessions, something like that. They know that if something comes up in the future and they need a, you know, a kind of like a booster shot of therapy, 
they could contact the office and speak with us again. And some people do that numerous times over the course of their four or five or six years at the college. Let's say, like, you know, someone finishes their flexible 12 sessions. Um, how would you suggest that students help their loved ones or their friends and all that, you know, through it all? If they don't want to do the Zoom meetings because Zoom meetings are tiring after doing a whole class worth of Zoom meetings, you know? Meeting with a therapist through Zoom is a whole different thing, like you said, um, and the motivation is, you know, not as, not as uh, enthusiastic, you know. So, how would a person help their loved one during this time, and like, how to talk to them? Well, one, I I would say, if it's a friend from Queens College, if they themselves have felt I've gotten some something good out of being in counseling even over Zoom, to encourage their friends to give it a try and to not think, oh, no, it's on Zoom and it can't possibly be good. It really can be good. It really can. As far as how to help one's, you know, family and friends during this time, you know, it's that's difficult to say because it's um, each person suffers in their own way. There's not just one way that people are suffering. But I, I would say in the counseling center, I'm the person that trains our interns. Um, well, there's one other person that does so, one other counselor that does so as well. And when, they, when our interns are new and I'm trying to um, sort of instruct them and give them, you know, uh, advice on how to do counseling, the first thing I say is if you don't listen, then you don't have the right to say anything to any anybody that, that comes in. Your, your first job is to be a good listener. And I think sometimes with friends and family, we think we have to come up with a, a, a way to solve the other person's problem. But I, I don't think that people are necessarily looking for that. I think they're listening, they're looking for someone who could listen for them feel some empathy and and um, understanding for what the other person is going through and and to validate that that's yes that's difficult you know and and uh, I think if you could do that for another person listen well um, validate their experience that's the best way to help yeah I totally agree like I know that when I was in high school, it was so hard to find someone who could just, like, listen. You know, my mom, she always thought, um, like you said, you know, we need to find a solution. You know, what is moping about if you do? But at the same time, you know, I thought I was allowed, I think that I am allowed to mope and complain at the same time, um, regardless of how someone else may feel about it. Um and I think that's what a lot of people just want, just someone listening, like you said. What What is the things that most people, you know, talk about when they go through, going through college and, like, going to a counseling center? Like, it can't possibly just all be about college, you know? Well, no, it, it isn't all about college, though, though some people have specific kinds of academic issues that, that um, do require some counseling, like, you know, just in terms of time management and setting priorities 
um, you know, accepting the difficulty of doing well in college and, and things like that. But I wouldn't say that's the primary reason that people come to counseling. Um, there are some people that come because they, they are feeling very depressed um, and they may, may even have suicidal thoughts, even if uh, very occasionally someone is actually suicidal and have, has a plan um, and an intent to harm themselves. But it, it, it's more frequent that people, you know, just wish that they could go to sleep and not wake up, that they're just feeling kind of stuck and in despair about what to do about their lives. Um, and some people are feeling depressed, but on in not quite that extreme of a way. They just feel kind of uh, without motivation and sad and, and kind of stuck. Many people come in with feeling anxiety, um, and that has definitely been heightened by the pandemic just the sense of uncertainty uh, in people's lives, but also, you know, w wondering if you're going to do well and what you're going to do in the future. Many people also are, you know, think, you know, do, do, do other people like me? You know, am I, can I be a good friend? And, you know, social anxiety and shyness. Um, and then uh, some people come in because of, difficulties in their relationships, either with um, a romantic partner, um, where there's can be issues of control and distrust um, and jealousy and things like that, or um, conflicts in parental or family relationships. Many of our students um, have one foot in one culture and one foot in another culture, you know, one uh, foot in the culture in which um, uh, that their family comes from and in which they grew up, but they've also grown up in sort of contemporary American culture. So <clears throat> some of the things that they feel that are appropriate for our young Americans, their, their parents don't feel is appropriate, you know? And so how do they manage the pull in two different directions? Do they have an argument with their parents about it? Do they conceal what they're doing from their parents or lie to their parents about it? If they do that, how do you know sometimes if they do that they feel guilty and sad about having that kind of relationship with their parents and <laughs> what do they do about that how to resolve that how to bear that so those are some of the things um that come up in, in counseling sessions yeah i figured it'd be a lot of like parental stuff because it's the people you live with that kind of affect you the most if anything especially, you know, like authority figures or people you look up to. Um, do you think that there is a disparity in, you know, race that of who you see in counseling? Uh, I, I wish I had the figures for you. Unfortunately, we've not been very conscientious about keeping those figures. But, you know, it, I, I feel that um, 
you know, some, some people say, oh, people from this culture or that culture don't go to counseling. We have not found that to be true. I think we see um, students from all the many backgrounds. Um, I, I think that's one thing that everybody that works in the counseling center particularly loves, that we see students from so many different backgrounds um, and are able to, to talk to them and learn about them. I, that's, that's, it's a little selfish, but that's an enriching thing for us. <laughs> I hope it's, it is so for them too. Do you think that uh, with over the years, you know, that mental health has become kind of normalized and like caring about mental health? Because before I know that when my dad, with my mom and my dad, my dad doesn't think that therapy would help a person. He thinks that, he strictly thinks that, what is moping going to do? Like, that is the mindset. Um, and he thinks that depression, he doesn't really think that depression is a real thing. And I told him, like, well, it's actually like a, it's a science thing, dad. There's a science behind depression. You know, it can be genetic even. And um, do you think that over the years it's been kind of normalized to care about mental health? Because before therapy used to be kind of taboo. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, um, since about 2015, 2016, there's been a huge upswing of people going using counseling centers. When, when, when I first started at Queens College, which was in the year 2000, you know, we had unlimited sessions. There was, there was no session limit because there were not that many people using counseling services. Um, we had a, a full load, but we didn't have a waiting list or anything like that. Um, so there's been a tremendous upswing. And, you know, I think there are several reasons for that. One is because there's much less stigma associated with, with seeking counseling than there used to be. And I think part of that has come about through education and through the fact that many famous people, athletes, actors and actresses, people that, that are um, famous cultural figures have talked frankly about their experiences of anxiety and depression. And that has helped to, you know, destigmatize. Um, you know, the the other things that might have um, influenced the upswing and the number of people seeking counseling and therapy, and I don't know that this is true, but I think it, it, it might have some effect, is that people that started going to college at that time were are people that grew up having, you know, the uh, grow up having phones in their hands and being, you know, connected to social media many hours a day. And although I think that's in some ways been helpful, in some ways I think it's been very harmful that people are always looking at what other people are doing and comparing themselves to it. And feeling, you know, uh, the th things that they just took for granted in their own lives, they're now thinking about it consciously and comparing themselves to others. And I think uh, that's a challenge for mental health.
there's a, a, a correspondence between the upswing in the use of counseling centers in colleges and from the year that the people that started going to uh, college around 2015, 2016, that that generation is one that came into college using, having used for the past several years, um, been uh, into social media and the kinds of, you know, teasing and, and bullying and things, you know, when people used to bully you in school before, at least you could go home afterwards and not see that person. But if, if you're being bullied or teased or mocked on social media, that's with you all the time. There's no way to turn it off except by turning off your phone. And that has risks also. So like what you said with social media, um, what do you think is like the biggest challenge with it? And, you know, people of, you know, my generation or, you know, if anything, like my parents, like 40, they're 40. So they're from like 70s, 80s. So what do you think is like the biggest challenge for people of my age or their age, you know, in dealing with what happens on social media? Because it has a lot of power for a little thing. I would recommend the movie, The Social Dilemma. It, it's, a, it's a very, very good movie. And it's a, um, it's a documentary about, um, about social media and its creation. And what it shows is that the rules um, that determine what kind of messages that you get from the different social media companies has to do with what they think is going to make you keep going back to it. So in that sense, it's, it's created or it's run in a way to make you want to keep looking. That, that sort of thumbs up, thumbs down thing, and you know, all of that. So it's, it's, so it is created to be kind of addictive. And, you know, anything that's addictive subtracts them from your sense of, I think, from your sense of freedom and your sense of well-being when you have, feel that you have to keep turning to something to check, to either get that upswing in mood that you get when someone likes what you posted. You know, it keeps sending you back. And I think it takes a little bit away from your sense of freedom calmness and, and well-being to always be focused out on that and it's created to create to um, or it functions to create that feeling in you I want this I want this I just remember something um so before you said that people come in when they're feeling suicidal so what do the counselors do on campus when someone comes in um severely depressed to a point where they'll, they'll harm others or themselves i mean yes a complete suicide assessment is done and um if it very occasionally it seems that the person really does have the intention of of harming themselves and you know at that point the counselor takes as much time as needed to convince the person that the wise thing is to go to the hospital. And um, 
we have a connection with the hospital, which is part of Long Island Jewish, uh, Hillside, um, Hillside Long Island Jewish. And it has a part of the hospital that's only for college students. And it's set up like a college dormitory. And instead of when we were at um, the college, instead of calling 911, where the police came and everything like that, we could directly call their ambulance which would come over to the counseling center, but in a very quiet way without police officers or anything like that. And we would be able to walk the person onto the ambulance and they would be able to go to that part of the hospital that's specifically designed only for college students so that they're not in the general population of people with severe mental illness. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very smart. Yeah. Yes, that program was created about maybe like 12 to 14 years ago. And now other hospitals have also done that because, um, yeah, it's a very good program and a very good thing. And we're in close contact with the director of that program and when the person is coming back to school, then we could help to facilitate their transition back to their classes. Those students often sign a, um, a release of information so that we can inform their teachers, not what's wrong with them, but we, we like write a letter to their professors and saying your student, and give their name, is currently in the hospital. Uh, we're, we're not exactly sure when they will be released, but we, help, we hope we will be able to help them um, get back into their schoolwork when they return. And most professors write back immediately and say, you know, thank you so much. We'll definitely help this person get back into the swing of things when they return and like that. Yeah, I think that's a great model. Like Me too. It it really like it's really like saying you're going from one environment to another environment, but mm -hmm. it's not gonna overwhelm you so much because it's gonna be exactly with where you come where you came from, and I think that's that's great. It makes me think about how you know the whole conversation of sending social workers instead of police officers to scenes, um, and I think that model would be such a great model, you know, instead of sending police officers because. Why would you call the police for someone who's dealing with mental illness? Right, right. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, uh, be, before this, um, you know, you know, there, there was no choice. You had to. But in this model, as long as we could say, you know, they ask us, does the person have a gun or any weapon with them? But, you know, college students in general that are coming into the counseling center feeling depressed are not a danger to other people. They're not carrying weapons with them or anything like that. You know, we've never had that. Never had that. I agree with it when I, when, you know, all the Black Lives Matter protests were happening and I was getting more informed on it, still getting informed on it. I just think that it makes sense for certain situations. Like if someone is dealing with a suicide and why would you call the police on them? It doesn't make sense. If anything, we should be calling counselors or someone who has training in that 
I used to work in the police department as a psychologist. Yeah. And one night they had each psychologist go out in the squad car for a tour of duty with police officers. And like we had to wear bulletproof vests under our clothes and things like that. And I went out with these two uh, female police officers and it was late at night and we were busy all night long. And most of the calls that they got were for family disputes. And I, I was truly amazed at how skillful they were at, you know, at de-escalating the conflicts in uh, those people's homes. Now, maybe they were doing a special good job because I was also with them, but they immediately, one police officer would take one person aside and then the other police officer would take the other person aside. And then they would you know, spend time listening and talking it through. And, you know, I, I felt they did, they did a good job as counselors. But of course, many, many police officers would just be gruff, you know, but the, but the ones that I was with were, were actually pretty good at deescalating the situation. I guess in one of the situations, somebody did have a gun. If there's if there's danger of being you know physical danger, um, maybe having the police go is a good thing. But maybe it'd be better to have like a crisis team where there's police and other people to a police officer and someone else to handle it together instead of just the police. Yes, exactly. That's I think that you know police. Some police officers can maybe do their job so well, but then when we get stories that make it to mass media that just, you know, are terrible. But, like, most of the things that come on the media are mostly because of male officers. So do you think it had anything to do with, um, you know, gender-wise, like, for females to handle the situation versus a male to handle the situation? You know, it, you know I, I, I can't say I'm sure about that, but um, I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you a sort of, I think what's an interesting story. Um, over over the summer, I was sort of taking an online course given by um, a, a psychologist who is a, a distinguished professor of psychology at Yale, and the course was in in sort of everyday morality. And he started one lecture saying, "You know." I have a, a genetic condition which makes it much more likely that I am going to beat somebody up, kill somebody, or, or rape somebody. You know, unfortunately, I've passed that same genetic condition down to my two sons. While I'm listening to it, I'm thinking like, what is this genetic condition? And he said, as you might have realized, the genetic condition is being a male, having a Y chromosome. And, you know, it, it, it is more likely that men are, are going to be violent than, than women. That, that was his humorous way of, of getting that point across. And I think women can sometimes be more, you know, that mean girl kind of way, 
rather than getting into fistfights or something like that. That kind of, I, I hear my students talk about that feeling betrayed by friends and things like that and people having bad mouth them, which I think diminishes as, as people get older and out of their adolescent stage. Yeah, I mean, like going back to my, my um, interaction with my coworker, you know, it got aggressive so quickly. And, you know, I was minding my own business. I was um, doing what I was supposed to do, you know, waiting in line to pay for whatever I wanted to pay for. And he came off aggressive after a simple conversation. And it, I did a whole article on this too, how we should um, educate our kids on the red flags of, of partners and predators and stuff like that. Like, how do we protect our children? Because the lack of sex education in every aspect, you know, be it intercourse, be it um, condoms or red flags, all those things should be talked about because later in life we get these, these instances where we don't know what to do, you know. And a lot of the times from the statistics I've seen, majority of, of like these issues of, you know, rape or assault come from men, you know, and I'm not disregarding that women can be predators as well, because there's always that instance. But if the majority of it is men, it's really scary for a woman or a young girl. The story even included um, a story at the time that my friend sent me. It was like an assistant coach who wasn't on the books, according to Queens College. Um, But my friend who was on the team said that he was, you know, he was on the roster. He's, he was an assistant coach to the women's soccer team, and he also coached the team in Long Island, and he was charged with with assaults on young girls and stuff. And I was thinking, like, how would these young girls, like, act if they knew how to defend themselves, how to talk to people? Because they're coming now, but, like, what made them come now? Like, it it's literally them just rethinking, like, how to deal with it, you know, what they want for themselves. And I think that you know, the education that we need is so important because if we don't educate, then it's not going to help us in the future. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that um, one, uh, if somebody is an authority figure, one feels somewhat daunted in in defending oneself against an authority figure. Um, And, you know, I think this is changing a little bit, but not completely. But, you know, girls are more often brought up to be conciliatory and not to, you know, not to rock the boat, not to be too assertive. That's that conflicts with the old ideas of, of what it is to be female. And I again, I think that's changing, but it's it, it's still there. It's still there. Yeah, so how do you help a student when they come up to the counseling center and they say, like, oh, I got harassed or sexually abused? Like, how how does the counselors go about that? It depends. I mean, you know, first, as, as we talked about before, you know, to listen, to validate the painfulness of that experience, um, to really give the person a chance to talk it through. Because often in a relationship, you know, it it gets bad in small steps rather than all at once. So that, you know, 
you, you really like somebody and then they do this one thing that you feel like, ooh, that, that wasn't right. But you are already, you know, have grown so attached to them. So you, you feel like, oh, well, maybe this one little thing is not that important, given all the positive things and the strong feeling of attachment. And then another little thing happens and it's sort of a slippery slope. And all of a sudden you realize I'm not in a good place. I'm in a terrible place, but it happened gradually. You know, um, so you, you, you want to give the person a chance to explain that and, and to talk about what happened and to uh, validate the seriousness and painfulness of the situation. And then, you know, it is completely up to them. And, and, and since they feel they've had, you know, choice taken away from them in that abusive relationship, you, we don't want to pressure the person uh, to do something about it, to report the other person or something like that. We want to, um, them to know that they have that choice, but we don't want them to feel like we're pressuring, now we're pressuring them to do something. So, you know, to, to make it a safe place to talk, that's the main, that's the main goal. What do you do when it's another person on campus and the seriousness of the assault is like, you know, they can go to jail? Uh, what is the actions taken from the counselors? Like, do they help the student like you said, like, you don't want to pressure them, but the person that they're talking about, that they do it to other people, like, what are the steps? Uh, you know, again, like, counseling is a confidential thing, so we really cannot disclose what the client or the student has told us unless they give permission. So, you know, Sometimes, even though we realize like this person might be doing the same thing to other people or something like that, we cannot disclose this to the campus community unless the person gives us permission to do so. Um, and, and we can, we, we, I, 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 I truly feel that I, I don't feel right pressuring the person to, to report. It's up to them. That that's counseling is is somewhat different than other relationships in that way. We we you know we we don't confidentiality is like very very important. It's the main thing, and and um, you know it, it's not the place to tell somebody what to do. We it can explore possibilities, but we don't want to tell them you should do this. No. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, counseling is just, like you said, validating and listening, because that's what people need once in a while. Um, going back to the hospital, um, how was how was it possible for um, the college to get an in with the hospital for them to be able to have, like, you know, direct line to them? Oh, that was easy. I mean, the hospital reached out to us. They started this program, and so they, you know, in part of the marketing of this program, they reached out to all colleges in the area to, to join the program. Yeah, so that, that was easy. So, wait, so it's Queen's College 
and other colleges like do you know which one? Oh well I mean I think they have a, a whole I, I think they have a connection with most CUNY colleges with the Delphi with Hofstra uh you know and you know all all those colleges in in the in the general area. Uh like so like let's say a student goes to a session right and I think normally people feel out what therapist is right for them or a person that's right for them to talk to them about their problems. When a student says, I don't really like you, I want to go to someone else, do counselors um, suggest a person or do you just let the students find whoever they like? I, I think it depends. I, I, I think that depends. Um, uh, you know, sometimes we make a... I mean, if if, if the person says, I don't like you, or, you know, or this counselor, or, or, you know, calls the office and says, this counselor isn't good for me, and I don't want to talk it over with that counselor or see them again, then then they're just assigned to another counselor. Um, you know, that's usually, you know, we suggest that the person at least take one other session to talk to the counselor about it. Um, but if they don't want to, they don't want to. And they're definitely uh, uh, assigned to another counselor. And sometimes a person is assigned to the counselor and then might say, you know, I, I like talking to you, but I would prefer to speak to someone from my own background or from my own race or I, I, I feel I'd be more comfortable talking to a man than to a woman, something like that. And, and then that, you know, that's a different kind of ending, like then, you know, I don't like you. That's rare. Um, and, and so then we can help, you know, talk to the person a little bit more about their feelings for that and arrange for them to be with somebody to the extent that we do have someone of the same background, or uh, we're we're pretty short of men on our staff, um, that's terrible. <laughs> that that's really a, um, we only right now we have one intern that's a male, and that is the only male on our staff. That's not good. Yeah, you I know? mean, if a boy wants to talk to a that's boy, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so thankfully we have one intern that's male but um and last year we had two interns that were male and that that was good or three three interns that were male um so you know but but we try our best to uh, accommodate the person we can't always because obviously you don't have someone from every background in queen's college that would be we'd have to have a huge staff if that were the case so with um the males and the females of the staff like are they are they qualified like are they licensed therapists and stuff or are they just trained by you or whoever well the interns are are being our graduate students either doctoral students or master students who are being supervised but the staff is all licensed uh all people that are either licensed psychologists certified social workers or licensed mental health counselors all have a professional degree in a mental health field 
but the interns are supervised. So for each person, they're, they're only in the office part-time, and for each person they see, um, that their ongoing work with that uh, person is discussed with their, ther- with their supervisor. And would you suggest students going to the peer services if like... Uh-huh. I mean, I'm involved with the peer program. I um, Francesca Giro teaches um, the peer one and peer two class. I teach the peer three class, which is a little bit of a quirky and different kind of class. Um, but um, I, I would say uh, Francesca Giro, who's a licensed mental health counselor, um, she herself was a peer counselor when she went to Queens College, um, and I think that she's a fabulous teacher of of, of peer counselors, and she really, really uh, helps them uh, develop basic counseling skills of listening well, validating, asking open-ended questions, and things like that. And the peer counselors are trained that if a student comes in to talk to them and the problem is uh, one that deserves more serious attention or more extensive attention, then they will refer them to a counselor in our office. Oh, okay. That's not... So that would be the first step, you'd say? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. That is a step. Some students feel... I think I'd rather talk to a peer than to a professional. And then the peer counselors now have a, a, an online platform at which they can speak to other to students. So that's great. But some students feel, no, I, I, I want to start off speaking to a professional person. You know, it all depends on what you want. I know that, you know, at, at, you know, there was when the peer uh, office was open in the in. Uh, the student union, a lot of times people would come in who were just having a very hard day and they just need to like cry their eyes out, you know, and just scream and like, ah, they're just feeling so terrible. And they could do that right away. Just walk into the peer counseling office and someone was there that would sit and listen to them. And that, that was, that was a good thing, a good, a good escape hatch to have yes of course (laughs) being able you know when you can't really break a thing if you wanted to need someone to talk to instead of getting um you know throwing your anger at like a coffee pot or something it'd be so much better to just talk to someone even if you know they're the same age as you but just letting it all out the relieving part yeah yeah, I always I had this one friend in high school where like I would always I would get into fights with my mom, um, and it would always happen at like in the morning because you know high school starts at eight a.m. Um, I always had my one friend who I always spoke to, and you know I talked to her recently and I told her I was like you know I'm really thankful that you were there because you know I just love that you always listened regardless of if I was right or wrong or if she was right or wrong just listening was the best thing. Um, yeah, so she's. She's awesome. Um, her name is Kaylee. You know, I'm still friends with her to this day. And, you know, she's, I appreciate her a lot for what she did. Because I know high school would have been different if I didn't have anyone to talk to. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think I've utilized the peer services myself. Because, you know, college is so much different than high school. 
you know, everyone just kind of just goes home after after class and not really hanging out. And um, it's that's how it's different from high school. Um, I think that, you know, with this episode, I hope that we encourage people to take that step to talk to whoever they want to talk to, peer services or mental health advisors. Um, how do how does a student get to utilize these resources now, like in the pandemic? So you 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 could either call seven one eight nine nine seven five four two zero and leave a message, um, or um, and leave a message, and someone will call you back the next business day. It's good if you could leave also uh, your name, your phone number, and your CUNY ID. Otherwise, you could write to counseling, the email counselingservices at qc.cuny.edu. Counseling services, one word, at qc.cuny.edu. Yeah, I think that I hope that people use the services because from what you say, it seems like, you know, they're, they're just willing to listen you know, regardless of the situation. Yeah, I mean, we listen. I mean, we also, as we get to know the, I mean, listening and validating is the first step. We also help with problem solving and things like that, if that's what the person wants. And I I know people have said to me, and to all the counselors, um, wow, you've asked a good, what a good question. What a good question you've asked. That really makes me think. And you know, you you want to sometimes people sort of um, trap themselves in a kind of um, you know a, a kind of rigid frame. And as a counselor, you, you know, you you also want to see if you could shake up that frame a little bit so that the person feels, oh, I could breathe. This this has opened up. I I see possibilities that I didn't see before. You have been listening to QC Pod, the podcast about all things Queens College. We are on Twitter at QC Pod and on the web at queenspodcastlab.org backslash QC Pod. Our producer is me. Our theme music is Lake Monsters by John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants. I'm Samantha Galvez Montiel. Thank you for listening. <laughs>